0: Well, I want to begin with a little survey here this morning. And uh, there's basically three categories to this survey, all right? Uh, And I'm fairly sure that everyone here is going to fall into one of these three categories. Let me just give them to you up front before you cast your vote, all right? Uh, Here's the three categories. The first one, uh, first category, is the person that's uh, always working way ahead. I mean, you hear about something or six months out, you hear about something six months out, it doesn't have to be done you know, until way down the road, uh, it'll take you like an hour to do it, but still you're, you're on it this afternoon, like, like you're just at it, you're, you're just working way ahead of schedule, it's the way that God made you, you just like to get it done when you know about it, then it's taken care of, some of you are like that. Second category then would be the opposite extreme of that, I would call you day of people, and it's like, you know, I heard about it there a while back, but I'm not ready to work on it yet. It's not the day of. And when it gets closer, when it gets, you know, I just work better under pressure. And uh, when, it's, when it's coming up, then I'm ready, to, I'm ready to get at it. Some of you would be in that category. You just work well uh, under the pressure. It's the way that, it's the way that God designed you. Uh, and then the third category just just catches the ones in the middle there somewhere, it's like I know about it, it's on my calendar, you know, I kind of give thought to it as, as time goes along, I, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not planning too far out, I'm just kind of planning as it gets closer, I'll really start to work on it, and uh, it's like I'm not, you know, I'm not a way ahead, but I'm not day of either, so hopefully that catches the rest of you there, so uh, everybody ready to vote, let's, let's give this a try. Uh, who, who's in that first category? Who would call yourselves uh, way out there? Yeah, I see a couple of hands, uh, oh several of you, several, yeah, interesting, interesting. you know that uh, you know that you guys drive the rest of us crazy, all right? You just do because whatever it is we 're not ready to work on it yet, and you 're ready to go, but, uh, but you know what I, I, I praise God for people that work well in advance. I, I really do. my wife Susan is one of those people, and she raised her hand and, and, and I mean. She's just on it. You know, whatever it is, uh, you give it to her today. It doesn't have to be done, you know, for six months from now, but she's on it today. And uh, honestly, that helps to keep the rest of us on track, I, I think. You know, it certainly helps me anyways. We, we, need-, we need planners. Uh, so that's the first category. Now, what about number two? What, what about the opposite of that? You'd be the uh, under-the-gun, uh, high-pressure worker, um, Interesting. Yeah, a number of you. I was curious how many there. we have some people that are day off. Yeah, well, you guys drive us crazy in a different way, but that's okay, too. Um, And then number three, what about those who are kind of in between there someplace? You're planning like two or three weeks out. Does that kind of catch the rest of us? I, I think that's probably where I am. You know, there is a there is kind of a fourth category in there, and, and that's for those who don't like to work at all or don't like to plan at all. You know, there is, uh, uh, there is that one, but I won't embarrass you by asking, uh, asking you to raise your hand on that. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Different people uh, different people have different work patterns. They, they work in different ways. I remember back when I uh, farmed, I, I had a number of employees over the years, and it was interesting to me as I gave some thought to this how each one of them kind of had their own work pattern, the way that they worked, uh, and and how different that was from person to person. I remember uh, a guy by the name of Dale years ago, and uh, we hired Dale, and uh, Dale was a good worker. I mean, he'd show up on time, and he would work hard all day, but come supper time, Dale was ready to go home. I mean, he'd done his day's work, and if you asked him, he might stay, but really, supper time, it was over. He he was ready to go home, Uh, and then there was a guy by the name of Norm and uh, uh, Norm was just a flat-out hard worker. I mean, he'd come in the morning, and, and he'd stay till midnight. Uh, it didn't bother him. he just, you know, give me the day's work, and I'm on it, and I'll be here till the job is done. It was the way that he worked. It was just how God wired him. That's, that's how he performed the best. And I had a guy by the name of James, and, and James was, was very different from that. James loved working at night. I mean, try and get him there at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, it was, it was impossible, because he probably worked till 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and he, he just loved working at night, he wouldn't think anything of pulling into a field at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and he just loved, it was the way that he worked, it was the way that he worked, he just, he just loved working at night. Um, then there was a guy, uh, we just called him Bing, Bing, I, I don't even remember what his, what his real name was, but I was looking for a guy to drive a tractor uh, this one spring, and I was getting a bit desperate, and so um, I heard about this guy Bing, and he knew how to drive a tractor, and so I, yeah, he'll come, and so we had two-way radios in the tractor at that time, right, and so you could call, you know, and see where I'd keep a track and the other guys, and and I'd been, I was at work in some place, I'd been calling Bing for like a couple hours and no answer, right, just nothing. And I'm thinking, wow, something must have happened, something's gone wrong, I could go up and check, so I drove away up, you know, a couple miles down the road, and up to the back of this farm, and sure enough, there's a tractor sitting about halfway out in the middle of the field, and uh, revved up about half throttle, which was interesting, and uh, so I went over to it. it's not moving, eh? so I go over to the tractor and... Uh, uh, no Bing anywhere, Can't, can, you know, I'm calling Bing, you know, looking around, is he underneath this thing where he's nowhere around? Anyway, finally found him, he's over kind of in the corner of the field under a big old maple tree sound asleep, you know, just curled up there and, and, and enjoying himself and, uh, and, uh, you know, so bottom line, basically, uh, I discovered that Bing really didn't have any work pattern, um, um, but, but, but for most of us, we have our ways of working, don't we? We, we, we do have our patterns, and um, it's just the way, that, it's the way that God made us. Now, last Sunday, we started into a new series called Caution, God Working Ahead. And uh, the word that we looked at last week was the word always. Uh, this idea that, that God is always at work in our lives, all, all the time. Even when we can't see it, even when it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't feel like it, still, God is putting up construction signs in our lives. He's at work In our situation. And that's a powerful truth, really. To know and understand that that God is working in my situation wherever I happen to be. God's already there and He's He's at work. But what I really want to move to this morning is the how part of that. Uh, How does God work in our lives it's like Philippians 419 and lots of us know that verse right God is able to meet our every need according to his riches and glory uh, cool verse right I, I I like that verse but but what I really want to know is how is he planning on doing that it says he's able to meet our every need but but how does God work understand that he's always working I I get that but what's his pattern for working how does God work You see, the reality is, just like you and I have our different patterns, so does God have a typical way of working. Now, this isn't to say that God always works this way or that God has to work this way. I'm not putting God in a box this morning, but I would suggest to you that this is very typical. He has a typical pattern, a typical way of working. And I see this as kind of a, six step process this morning and as I looked at this text I think all of us can find ourselves somewhere in this process in the way that God works here we'll be somewhere along there and so my desire is that this message this morning will first of all um, help you to hang on when you can't see God working that would be my first desire But also, ultimately, that it will help you uh, move to a better place in the process, get further along in God's work. So I want to take you to an Old Testament story again this morning. If I can get this, there it is, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, and I encourage you to get a Bible and and open it there. It's about a quarter of the way in uh, from the beginning, right? You go through the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, uh, what is it? Judges, uh, no, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First um, uh, and Second Samuel, and then you're into Kings. Uh, tried me a little bit there this morning. I'm not even great with the books of the Bible. It's like I know where they are, but anyway, that's part of the reason I get you to open your Bible this morning uh, so you can find that. Get into 2 Kings. Get into 2 Kings. If you can't find it in your own Bible, grab a pew Bible, all right? You get the page number there. Make it a little bit easier. And I, I just want to give you the context here uh, quickly. These These events... Uh, are happening in the northern part of Israel. And politically, there's a whole lot of unrest right now. There's there's a whole lot happening in in the nation. Uh, But more importantly, as for spiritual leadership to the nation of Israel, uh, Elijah, who had been the prophet for a number of years, has gone on to heaven. Uh, He's been taken out of that situation. And so Elisha is God's man of the hour. It's no longer Elijah, it's Elisha. You need to know who Elisha is. You really do. He's the guy that that brings God's voice to the people. And and you need to know that to get this story. The other thing you need to know is that in this story, there's a group of people called the Company of the Prophets. Now, these guys are are mentioned in other places in Scripture as well. This isn't the only place to see them. 2 Kings 2.7 talks about 50 men from the Company of the Prophets. Uh, 1 Samuel 10.5 talks about a procession of prophets or a, a, a company of prophets. And, and what these guys are is the understudies of God's chosen prophet at the time. And so there was Samuel and there was Elijah and now there's Elisha. And under those guys you have these guys that are studying under them. Uh, that's basically the company of the prophets. They're learning from the prophet of the hour. Uh, For us today, these are the seminary students, all right? These are the guys at Tyndale. Uh, Company of the prophets, uh, these are the guys at Tyndale. So you got that? Elijah speaks for God. Company of the prophets, seminary students, all right? That's the context. You got that? Everybody got that? Nod your head if you're still with me. Understand. Elijah, or Elisha, company of the prophets. So let me read you the story. And uh, then we'll come back to this. Second Kings, chapter four, verse one. It says this. It says, "The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha." Now, now get that. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets, cried out to Elisha. So the wife, the wife now, of one of those seminary students, the wife, cried out to Elisha, God's spokesperson that person that brings God's voice to the people. So this woman wants to hear from God here. Ultimately, she's going to God when she goes to Elisha. She cries out. and She says this. She says, Your servant, that seminary husband of mine, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, But now, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, "Uh, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and said, and he said to her, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, first of all, how can you not be amazed by that story? I mean, that is an incredible, incredible miracle of God there. You know, I think our tendency sometimes is we take these Old Testament stories and we analyze them and we root out the biblical principles, and sometimes we miss the reality of what actually happened there, the truth of the story. Friends, right off the top, God performed an incredible miracle in this woman's life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. God is always working. And right here in this story, he's doing some of his best work. God's always at work. I don't want you to miss that. I want you to miss the miracle. It's incredible what God did there. It says in Psalm 102, it says over and over again that God remains the same. In other words, what he did here, he still does today. Listen, God is still a God who does miracles. Don't forget that. Don't miss that. But what I want you to see here this morning is how he works. And and I think this story is so typical of that. Notice, first of all, it begins with a crisis. How God works, he almost always begins with a crisis. Almost always, not... Every time, but almost always. And folks, I'll be honest with you, um, personally, I I don't like that truth. I don't. I, I just flat out don't like the idea of having to go through hard times. I don't want the crisis. I don't know of anybody who gets a knock at the door and it's a crisis standing there and they just invite that thing on in. I mean, who would do that? No one in their right mind would do that. But see, listen, the reality is that there are times when God not only allows things into our lives, but there are times, there are seasons when God brings adversity into our lives for a reason, for a purpose. And you know what? It, it really doesn't matter whether I like that truth or not. It's the truth of God's word. And I believe it's so important for us to realize right up front here that this was a godly family. That was in the crisis. See, becoming a Christian doesn't isolate you from that. In fact, it says, uh, she says there to Elisha, you know that my husband, he revered the Lord. That, that word revered there means that he feared God. In other words, he was a godly man. I mean, think about the guy that died. This guy was training in, in seminary. He was given his life for God's work. He was full time at Tyndale. It's probably how they got into debt in the first place. Because he was willing to go. And yet, friends, listen, God allowed that man to die. See, bad things do happen to good people. And coming to faith in Jesus Christ just doesn't isolate us from that. Man, how we need to get that truth today. We need to get that. Bad things still happen to good people. That's how God often works in our lives. Often it begins with a crisis. And even as believers, we can expect seasons of adversity. You can expect it. It's a natural, normal part of a follower of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning for an encouraging word? But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Notice first this woman's situation here. She, she was distraught. I mean, there had been a death in her family. Her, her husband had just died. Now, for those of you who have gone through the pain of death, you know how difficult that is in itself. When you lose a husband, when you lose a wife, when, when you lose a child, you, you know the pain of that and the difficulty of that. But it says here, not only that, this woman is up to her ears in debt to add insult to injury. She opens a mailbox every morning and it's, it's just bills and, and, and the bank account is empty. To make matters worse, the situation has now become unbearable because next Tuesday the creditors are coming to take those last two things that I love and I have on this earth. They're coming for my two boys. That's how it worked back then, actually. People, people did that. They leveraged their children to pay back the debt. They'd have to go and work it off. It's, it's the way the world worked, and this woman is desperate. She's desperate. Friends, you want to see God do a miracle in your life? Almost always it begins there. Almost always begins in the crisis. Some of you are are there this morning. Some of you are there. You're right there. Maybe it was last night. But you know what it is to be there. And for those of you who aren't, let me just tell you straight up, your turn's coming. It's a circle. And it goes around and around, and your turn is coming. But it gets better, because the way that God works often begins in a crisis. But notice this second part, how God works. He waits to be asked. He waits to be asked. Now, he may be busy with the preparations, but very seldom does God serve the meal before he's asked hardly ever does God show up in your life and it's like, oh, you're here already. I I mean, it just just doesn't work that way. Often, typically, God waits to be asked. Notice the very first words here, verse 1. It says, the wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha. Now remember what I said at the beginning, Elisha is God's representative to the people. When she's crying out to Elisha there, she's crying out ultimately to God. And interesting in the Hebrew, that word cried out means to shriek out of grief. In other words, this woman is serious about asking for help. So let me ask you when a crisis comes to your house, what do you do? Who do you call? When you read the report, when your son slams the bedroom door in your face, when it's three in the morning and your daughter isn't in the house yet, what do you do when the crisis comes to your house? You see, the reality is there's all kinds of things that we can do. And maybe maybe this woman did as well. I, I don't know. The story doesn't say. But ultimately, ultimately, nothing, listen to me, nothing changed in this woman's life until she was willing to ask until she cried out to Elisha. I don't know what the days were like prior to that. Nothing changed until she chose to cry out to God. Why? Because God waits to be asked. It's the way he works. It's his work pattern. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given to you. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. James 4, 2, you don't have because you don't Ask. If you have a concordance, go home and look up the word ask and see how many times that appears in God's word over and over and over again. So let me ask you straight up this morning. Are you at that place? You're in the crisis, but you haven't yet cried out to God. You haven't yet gotten that serious about this thing. See, I believe some of you need to take that step. You need to cry out to God for help. It's fine to call your pastor. It's fine to call your deacons. I encourage you to do that. But friends, listen, there comes a time in our lives when we need to cry out to God for ourselves. And we need to get serious about asking Him for help. That's how He works. You say, well, I'm in the crisis, and I've, in all honesty, asked God over and over again for help. What's the next step? Notice number three right out of the text. God asks for what we already have. God asks for what we already have. Notice verse 2. It says, Elisha replied to her, uh, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? He's like, first, uh, tell me your need. And then secondly, what are your resources? What, What do you have in your house? And she's like, you know what? Your servant has nothing there at all. I have nothing. Have you ever felt that way? It's like I have absolutely nothing here to solve this problem or to bring to the table. There's nothing left. There's nothing that I can do. I have nothing to give. But friends, listen, I would suggest to you this morning that that every one of us has something that we can bring to God. And if we want to see God work, we need to give Him the whole deal. Often, God doesn't work because we're holding something back and we're resisting giving that to Him. And so he says, I'm not going to work over there until you give me this part of your life, until you surrender that to me, until you say you're willing to follow me in that area. And this woman here says, I have nothing at all. I don't have anything. But then she begins to think, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, way back there in the back of the cupboard, there's that, there's that little jug of oil back in there. And interesting, right away, God says, okay, give me that. You think about Moses, what did Moses have? He had a stick. God says, I'll use that stick. You think about the little boy in the New Testament, five loaves and two fish. God says, give me those, I'll I'll use those, I'll do something with that. Time and again, that's the case. That's when God begins to work. When I become willing to give him what I have, my talents, my abilities, my time, my financial resources. This woman, it was a little cup of oil. I don't care what it is, friends. God can use it. He wants it. It's the way God works. You say, but I've already given him everything and still nothing. Well, notice the next part. I I don't think our part is over at that point. There's another step here. Notice verse 4. God wants us involved in the work. He wants us involved in the work to an extent. How? How? Well, I wrote down two things here. The first one I would just call humble obedience. And this is kind of a a willingness to ask other people for help. Notice what Elisha has her do here. This is almost funny when you think about this. Picture this deal here. Uh, Elisha said, uh, go around and and, and ask all your neighbors uh, for empty jars. Uh, And don't ask for just a few. Uh, Go around and, and, and ask your neighbors. I mean... All the neighbors already knew that this woman had lost her husband, and if it's like most communities that I've ever lived in, the neighbors already know that I'm broke. I mean, they knew her situation, they, they, they were aware of what was happening, and so here comes Mrs. Jones, and she comes up to the door, excuse me, just wondering if you have any empty jars that I could take with me, that I could borrow for a bit. Now I think if that was you or I, I, I I think I'd probably say, you know what, Mrs. Jones, I, I've got some full ones in the basement, and 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 I want you to have, I, I want you to take those. I want you to take some full ones. I, I I've got lots. But this dear lady, bless her heart, she's like, no, no, I I don't want the full ones. I am looking for empty jars. I, you 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 keep your full ones. And dump the oil out if you have to, but i I I need empty jars. I mean, you think about that. I'd be thinking this woman has a screw loose or something, right? I mean, why would she want empty jars? Everything in her situation, when I look at her, is already empty. She's got nothing. And yet she asked for empty jars. Why? Why would she do that? Why would she ask for empties? Well, I believe it's because simply God told her to ask for empty jars. It's what God told her to do. She was just following in humble obedience. That's what that is a sense of humility, and I'm willing to do whatever God asks me to do. If that means I look like a fool, I'm willing to do that for God. I used to pray that on Sunday mornings. I remember when I'd go to the Collingwood church, and I was scared to death to get up in front of people, and I would pray on my way to church. I'd say, God, this morning, I don't care if I have to look like a fool, if I am a fool. God, I believe I'm doing this for you, and so just help me do it. And I think we need to get to that place, and I'm not there in lots of other places in my life, but humble obedience, a willingness to just do what God asks me to do. Humility. Just as an aside here, we have a prayer box in the foyer. And I'll be candid with you, sometimes it disturbs me how little that box gets used. Is it that we don't have any needs? Or am I afraid to ask someone for help? Is the pride issue. Don't want anyone else to know that I'm in need. Or maybe it's just a box. Maybe it's just because it's a box. I-, I don't know. But I do know that God wants us involved in the work, He wants us doing what He asks us to do, He wants us doing our part. And that requires humble obedience. Notice also faith filled obedience. Faith-filled obedience. First, she has to go in humility. And She asked her neighbors for those empty jars, as interesting as those trips must have been. And then after that, Elisha says, verse 4, he says, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. And it says she left them and afterward she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her. And she kept pouring. Now, just imagine that scene as, as they began to pour that oil. Just, man, I can't imagine. I mean, you talk about having faith. It's like I got two ounces here. That first jar is two gallons. And yet I pick up the two ounce and I start to pour. Friends, that's faith-filled Obedience. I don't have the answers, I I, I don't know how God is going to do this, this makes no sense, but I have the faith that he will, because he said that he would, and so I'll just begin to pour, I'll do my part, because it's the way that God works, he wants us involved in the work. He begins in the crisis, he waits to be asked. He asks for what we already have. He wants us involved in the work. Notice step number five. God will only fill what we give to him. He'll only fill up what we give to him. Verse six, it says, when all the jars were full, she says to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. When did the oil stop flowing? Why did it stop flowing? Why did that happen? When did it happen? When all the jars were full. Because there wasn't another jar left. There was no more empty vessels. Now you think of your own life for a, situ- for a minute. And your own situation. What is your empty jar? What situation? What, what part of your life here this morning have you not surrendered to God? Or, or given over to God to let him have his way in that area? See the reality is so many of us are filled up with other things. And we have no room for God. We're just filled with stuff. I mean, I'll give you an hour and 10 minutes on Sunday morning, God, but even then I'm thinking about where I'm going for lunch or I'm thinking about all the stuff or the morning that we had or the car broke down in the way. Like like we're just full. We're just full. Friends, listen, God will only work in those areas of our lives that we're willing to give over to him and surrender it to him. Say, God, I've done what I can do in this. I give it to you. For some of you, you're in the crisis, and you've gone through all these other steps. But listen, you're so busy trying to fix it yourself that you don't have any empty jar to bring to God. It's like I'm doing everything that I can do. You're busy trying to fix it. See, it's a really delicate balance here, and I want you to get that really delicate between jo- joining God in his work and, and giving it to God and allowing him to work. And that's a balance that, that, that we have to discover on our own. We really do. I mean, God doesn't want us taking control of the work, but he wants us joining him in it, and yet we have to give it over to him. There is a balance there. But maybe for some of you this morning, you, you've done all you can do, and, and what you need to do this morning is just come before Almighty God with an empty jar. And just bring it to Him. Give it to Him. And if you'll do that, notice this sixth and final step here. When we know how God works, when we move through this process, number six is simply this, the result of God's work is beyond our wildest dreams. Just notice how this story ends. Every one of those empty jars had been filled up God has done some of his best work. He's shown up. Notice verse 7. It says, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. And he says, you and your sons can live on what is left. Friends, listen, that is way more than what this woman ever asked for. All she ever wanted initially was to get the bank offer back. That's all she asked for initially. Just somehow give me enough money so this creditor doesn't take my two boys because I love them and they're the last things I have in this world. And it says here, he he ends with, you and your sons can live on on what is left. Folks, don't miss that. That is the abundance of God. That's the way our God works when we get on board with his process. He blesses with an abundance. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. I remember filling old chop bags Anytime I read that verse about pressed down, shaken together, and you'd be filling them with grain, right? And you'd, you'd shake them. The thing would be full and you'd shake it and there was more room and the thing would be full and you'd shake it. Man, you could do that 10 times. You could just get that bag so full. That's what God does in our lives. That's the abundance of of God. Ephesians 3 says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or even imagine. That's how God works. Some of you here would say, well, I just can't imagine how God would ever fix my situation, let alone bring in abundance. I mean, what you're saying to me this morning, it all sounds good, but, but I just can't imagine that happening. I don't know how he's even going to fix this situation. If you're here this morning and, and you're saying that, I, I want to challenge you to do something this afternoon. If, if you're the person or, or the ones that are saying that, I want you to do something. I want you to go home this afternoon if you can, and I want you to find a quiet place in your house, and I want you to get a copy of God's word, and I want you to open it to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I just want you to pray through these verses and say, God, I I know how you work. I wrote down those six steps this morning or I'll get them from the pastor afterwards. I I know how you work, but God, I want to see where I am in this process because I'm certainly not at the abundance stage yet. And I want to know where I am in this process. And it's like, God, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm right at the start. Maybe the crisis came for me last night or last week. So God, would you help me this afternoon to move to the next step? God, help me to cry out to you. Help me to take that next step. Or God, maybe we're a little further along and I've been asking you to do some things and you've been asking me to do some things and you've you've been asking me to humble myself and to step out in faith. But God, I'm, I'm scared to death of doing that. I'm I'm afraid to have that conversation, God. I'm afraid to step back from that responsibility at work, God. What will my neighbors think if I do that? How am I ever going to keep up? I'm afraid of of downsizing, God. I I can't imagine of living with less. I don't want to make that choice. What are my neighbors going to think? But I know how you work, God, and I'm willing to step out in humble obedience. It's okay if I have to be made a fool, God. I'm willing to do that for you. For some others here this morning, you've, you've done all that you can do. You're further along in that. You've been to the crisis. You've cried out to God. You've, you've asked people for help. You've, you've done it all. You, you've done all that you can do. And still nothing has changed in your lives and I know some of you well enough to know that that's your story this morning. You know it's funny, I stand up here on a Sunday morning, you all look good out there. But a few of you I can see, I know what's going on behind because I've talked to you about it. And you've had a hard time. And you've been in the crisis for a bit and and you've done all of this. And to you this morning I would simply say, would you bring, God, your empty jar? Would you just be willing to finally say, God, I've carried this as far as I can go. If you show me something more to do, I'll do it. But this morning, I don't know nothing else to do with this, God. But I give you this situation, and I give you myself. And I trust you with it. And, and I just ask, God, that you would fill me up. My, my jar is, is empty. I, I, would you fill it, God? God? Maybe you need that this morning. The end result is beyond her wildest dreams. When God works, when he does his best work, he blesses with an abundance. Well, that's the way God works often. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. I thank you for this woman who had faith I praise you for the way that you moved in her situation Lord I believe with all my heart this morning that you are still a God who does miracles I've experienced that in my own life I've talked to people that there's no other way to explain it but you did a miracle God and yet sometimes you choose to work in different ways, and I believe you have a typical pattern. God, I, I, I just pray this morning that for those that are in it, that they would truly take time this afternoon to figure out where they're at. And Lord, that they would be willing to move to that next step. Every one of those is hard, and God, we need the help and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. But I believe also that you want to bless, you want to bring abundance, you want to bring joy into our lives. And God, help us to give ourselves to you for that this morning. Lord, fill us up. Fill us with that refreshing oil, that refreshing water that comes from your Holy Spirit. That we would be vessels that are filled to running over. As we go out into the week, uh, the work and the week ahead of us, God, that you would bless us in abundance with the joy and the strength and the peace that you long to bring. ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.